KYW News Radio Original Podcasts. This is KYW News Radio In Depth. I'm Matt Leon. The Inflation Reduction Act, that massive legislation Democrats recently got across the finish line, has a lot in it. But some of the most impactful elements deal with the environment. This is a really big deal on this front. There's a lot to get excited about, and we wanted to parse the details. So we caught up with Dr. Samantha Chapman. She is a professor of biology at Villanova University, also co-director of the Center for Biodiversity and Ecosystem Stewardship. So to start, I've seen a lot of partisans talking about how transformative the climate change package, particularly in the Inflation Reduction Act, is. If we kind of strip away the politics, strip away the the cheerleading as someone who's an expert in this, who studies this, how big is the climate change aspect of this of this package? It's enormous. It's transformational. Um, I think that you and I. You, I've heard you use the metaphor before. It's already on third base, or I'm probably butchering that client, that sports metaphor. But I mean, you know, with the economy the way it is for renewables, we're already seeing them drop in price. But this just pushes things so much further. So I've seen some estimates that say that well, we were going to have a lot of solar and wind anyway. With this bill, we'll have twice as much as we were going to have without the bill. So. It's enormous for alternative energies. You know, I think about the whole picture of this bill in terms of climate, which includes, and I'd love to talk about, you know, natural climate change solutions, what this does for underserved communities in terms of climate adaptation. But in terms of just the energy piece, it's enormous. It's all carrots instead of sticks. And that seems to be a winning strategy. What is kind of the top line thing for you when you go through it? What is the most impactful thing? that you see with regards to the environment and climate change? I think I have to look at this bill in conjunction with the other two huge bills just passed by Congress, the infrastructure bill and the chips bill, because the way I see this, the infrastructure bill is setting up a green infrastructure, right? It's helping to build protections along our coast. I see that in calls I'm on now, right? We're already restoring wetlands and doing all these things. And those RFPs are out there and I, I, the money is flowing. So that's kind of the infrastructure bill. And of course, part of the infrastructure bill is also about the grid. The, the, this bill is providing the incentives for fossil fuel companies, private landowners, businesses, other industries to actually use green energy and green practices. And then the CHIPS bill is sort of the future in the sense that that's going to provide all the research money to continue the green energy and climate adaptation past 2030, the target, you know, for which the emissions reductions for this bill that we're talking about are for. That bill is going to take us to the next step and have new technologies that we need to get emissions down even further. So I think that those three bills together to me, once you start looking at them, it's masterful in the way that they're all working together to take us into this new future. And I went from being (laughs) really depressed to really hopeful about the future for our country in terms of leading in this area. You talk about the money's already flowing and you kind of talked about wetlands and protecting them. Can you kind of give me kind of like boots on the ground, look at things that you're already seeing and that's before this comes in? 
Yeah, so I'm, I've been so amazed, Matt. Um, so I'm part of this group of scientists that's thinking about salt marshes, and this is a very particular area in the southeastern U.S., right? And there's similar groups for the northeast where we are um, thinking about like millions of acres, of these lands that are providing protection for our coastlines. And one of the goals of this group is to actually conserve a bunch of those, but also kind of buy up land inside of them so that those marshes can move in as the sea levels are rising to continue protecting our coasts. And that's really easy to do in some parts of Georgia and South Carolina, where there's timber land you can buy up in. It's harder to do in Florida, where I work. What I'm seeing on these calls in that, as part of that group is half a billion dollars of money that's now flowing to restore wetlands, um, conserve existing wetlands, create some of these corridors for these wetlands to move in. And that money, the RFPs are already out there. People are already writing proposals. And that infrastructure, that's all infrastructure money. That's only, you know, was signed not that long ago, right? And so they're moving really quickly to make that money flow. And these are not science-based projects. These are solutions-based projects, right? Like do something about this, fix this. And a lot of that money, another really cool thing about it is it's flowing into underserved areas and there's caps on certain proportions of it has to go to tribal lands and to help neighborhoods that have been had flooding and things like that. So I think it's, it's really awesome. It's really exciting. I know there's tons of things for subsidies and you mentioned wind and solar. And it seems like, I feel like we have been kind of approaching the moment for electric vehicles. They had been growing slowly, but growing in popularity and acceptance in the mainstream. And then we had the high gas prices, which I think made a lot of people take a second look. And now it seems like kind of, even though gas prices are coming down, this comes at a great time with all these subsidies and building out the electric vehicle infrastructure so that people that maybe were on the fence at a certain point now kind of look at and go, well, it almost, it, it almost doesn't make sense not to try it now, given everything that's in place. Am I kind of, am I painting the picture accurately? Yeah, I think that's exactly right. The incentive, so the, the tax credits, and again, there's, there's some stipulations around them, but you know, what was happening before is some of these like Tesla, there was only 200,000 tax credits that were available and they all got used up because as you're suggesting, there's really a lot of people that want these electric cars now. But the Ford um, and GM are just about to come out with some of their new electric options. I know Subaru is as well and other things. So there's going to be pretty much unlimited tax credits for these, which is like $7,500, right? Not nothing that will bring the costs of those cars down so that more people can afford them. And as you're suggesting, more and more people that I know, if I see them popping up in my neighborhood, right? And I live in a, a tight spot where it's hard to, to get chargers and things in. But, you know, you can see it at food stores. You can see the chargers. You see out here at Villanova, we have chargers in the garage. A lot of apartment buildings around Philadelphia now have chargers. So I think you're right. I think the timing on this tax credit for these electric vehicles is just right. So those caps, as I mentioned, sorry to go back to that, are no longer, right? So Tesla had already used theirs up and that is no longer the case. There will no longer be 200,000 caps on who gets the tax credits. They're unlimited. And you mentioned the, the charging stations are something interesting because I remember earlier this summer, I was not looking for an electric car. I was just out running errands one day and you just suddenly noticed that Oh, there at the end of that supermarket parking lot, there's an electric charging station. And then I noticed 
you know, a couple days later, oh, there's one at the mall. I never saw that. All of a sudden now, it feels like we've kind of, and this is, like I said, this is before all this built up for infrastructure. So this is just going to kind of accelerate really a trend that had already been in place. But, you know, you would, I don't think it's crazy to think that once this money kicks in that we could see these really everywhere and they're, they, you, you almost can't help but charge your car. I think that the limitations will only be in the supply and not in the demand. And I think that too is being helped out by, you know, this was obviously thought of in this bill, right? Like, how do we get the supply chain to be able to speed up the production of these two? And that's also um, sort of like in this chips, you know, thing that's also happening, you know, that's thinking about how do we, that bill, how do we get more supercomputing? How much do we get more semiconductors, the materials that we need? How do we get them produced not only produced faster, but also produced here in the U.S., right? Which is going to be really helpful for jobs and for all kinds of things. So, yeah, I think that um, electrical vehicles, and it's not just that, right? There's also all of these tax credits for people putting electric heat pumps in their house, right? So, you know, I just put air conditioning in my house not that long ago. and We got, you know, one of those heat pump systems, and it's amazing. It can cool and heat, and it's electric, and it it's cheaper, right? It's not, it's not using all as much energy and my, I haven't seen my bills go up, which is incredible. So I think people will also have tax credits to be able to retrofit their homes with electric appliances, um, as well as this happening at a much larger scale with industries and campuses and other buildings, um, being able to do that. Where else do you see things that really get you excited in this that we haven't touched on? What are some other avenues that maybe aren't the headlines, but are other things that the average person doesn't appreciate the impact that it's going to have in a good way on the environment? Yeah. So I'll say, um, I'll say two things. One is what I would call like natural climate solutions, which I think you and I have talked about, right? The fact that we know that trees, ecosystems suck up a lot of carbon. It's a really easy way to draw down emissions more. And this bill has tons of money for making that happen. So one example is not in natural systems, but is in agricultural systems where there's lots of money to incentivize farmers to plant cover crops that suck up more carbon, to disallow nitrogen fertilizers from off-gassing from their fields, which is another type of emissions that causes climate change. Um, In terms of the natural ecosystem side, there's lots of money for both governments, state, local, and federal um, to conserve forests, plant new forests, restore forests, keep forests from burning down but also for private landowners. So there's a lot of money in this bill for private landowners to, when they own forested land, to be able to conserve that in order to help us with those forests continuing to suck up CO2 out of the atmosphere and draw down our emissions even more. And I think that's that's something that I've been reading about that's really cool is like, I don't think we even know. It's hard to model exactly how much added emissions, you know, reductions these natural systems are going to do. That's like what I study. But there's a lot of money in this bill and the and the infrastructure bill, too, to help with restoring ecosystems that are going to help us totally aside from the energy piece of this, which is really exciting. So that's like one thing I'm really excited about that's in this bill. The other thing that I'm really excited about is this really does 
help underserved communities. And I'll give you an example. So there was a, a news piece recently on um, a stormwater wetland that's been built and is being built still in Wilmington. So this project, I think it was started in like 2019. It's in South Wilmington. And this neighborhood in Wilmington consistently with big rainstorms would flood. And when you put these stormwater wetlands in urban neighborhoods, they can suck up a lot of that stormwater. And Villanova actually is engineering um, college is really good at like doing this with the city of Philadelphia. They're working with them a lot to do this. So this happened in Wilmington. And when Ida came through and we all know, you know, what happened in 76, 76, you know, we see in the news reels, that neighborhood didn't flood nearly as much as it had in the past. And there was an interview with a resident who said like, I kept waiting for my basement to flood. Right. And to like have to get my car out of the street and stuff because they built the stormwater wetland. And this bill has lots of money for what I would call climate adaptation for underserved neighborhoods to avoid the effects of climate change by using these natural solutions like stormwater wetlands, building wetlands on the coast that prevent you know, flooding inland. And there's a lot for that as well. And you've kind of alluded and, and touched on this. These bills kind of working in concert and building off what kind of the market solutions that already been in place, that there's a certain amount of the population that's wanted this for years and had been pushing in this direction, you know, kind of changing the face of an economy when it comes to like energy, it's like trying to turn a battleship like it's going to take a while but once you get the momentum going then it starts to feed off its own its own momentum its own direction is that what we're seeing put in place here you talk about one bill kind of sets the table the next bill provides the funding to push in the right direction the next bill then builds for the future all of a sudden this kind of climate economy starts to feed on itself and it just kind of takes off on its own right i think that's right and i think that we have never seen, you know, I keep hearing this is the biggest climate bill in history. Like, it's not just the biggest climate bill in history. It's like envisioning a whole different future for the U.S. that is adapting to and dealing with climate change and not just dealing with climate change, but like having healthier air quality. Right. Like we know that the oil refinery in Philadelphia that got you know, decommissioned enormously helps the air quality of Philadelphia. And there's a lot more of that that will be done using this bill, right? It has all these other benefits that are not just climate related, like, but a greener future in many ways in terms of health, you know, urban canopies. So the forest, um, the flower show that we just had in our center just had an exhibit there was big on focusing on like urban canopies, right? In cities, planning more and more trees in cities because it reduces people's heating and cooling costs by like $7 billion, right? It, it improves air quality because leaves trap the particulates that are bad for our respiratory health, right? And doing all those things, which these three bills are setting up, is going to be beneficial for people's life, not just our future of this planet, which is in itself, of course, a big thing too. We need to take a break. We will have more with Dr. Samantha Chapman right after this. This is KYW News Radio In-Depth. And we are back continuing our conversation about the climate change, the environmental portion of the Inflation Reduction Act. And our guest is Dr. Samantha Chapman of Villanova University. It's interesting to me, you talk about like specifically this, the storm in Wilmington where places that had flooded before didn't flood. 
will people appreciate this? Because it's hard to make people appreciate things that were prevented from happening. You know what I'm I'm saying? Like, because we did all this, you didn't have a dust storm in the Midwest because we built all these trees and people have a tough time with the context of, you know, well, that's important, but I don't understand really what you're saying. And I'm not trying to throw cold water on this, but a, a lot of this stuff, it will probably go under the radar with the masses just because it's doing things that will now not happen and you don't have to worry about them. You're totally hitting on the point that's always been the problem about climate change and doing anything about it is you have to think about the future. And so many people are just trying to make ends meet that they can't worry about 10 years from now. I think the thing, so I think you're right. Avoided catastrophes is not something that people will be able to put their finger on. One thing I think they will though is when you have this, the, the stormwater wetland park that's in Wilmington is actually like a really nice green space, right? So people can walk their dogs there and there's like a park there and there's little boardwalks. And so I think those kinds of investments and you're driving your nice zoomy electric car that's quiet, like those kinds of things actually people can feel. So it's those sort of things they'll perceive more than the avoided forest fires. Although, you know, a lot of my friends and colleagues that live out West who are fleeing California because of these wildflower flowers and the, the health risks associated with them, right? There, if we can get a handle on some of that stuff in the next couple decades, it might be like us telling our grandkids, you know, there used to be fires, right? And it's going to take a while to pull that out of the system, but I'm more confident that that will happen now. This package was brought to the table you know, famously kind of out of nowhere and Joe Manchin, who had kind of put the kibosh on anything in this direction before. And this caught a lot of people by surprise. And I know a lot of the yeah butters on social media. Well, if Manchin's behind it, there's got to be fossil fuel stuff. And there is some fossil fuel stuff. Is there anything that concerns you that had to be kind of a, a give up in the fossil fuel, the traditional energy direction that will hurt or is anything that has been given up will be made up for tenfold with what the, the, the upsides are here? I think that will certainly be made up for tenfold of the upsides. You know, I think it's a bummer that we have to, to have more oil and gas drilling leases up because of some of these things that had to get put in the bill, but that's compromise. And I also am curious about whether those leases will actually be issued or, whether companies will want them because I think, you know, Exxon, I, I'm pretty sure wanted this bill, right? The energy companies want security and knowing what the future will look like in the U.S. for an energy market. And this provides a lot more guidance in terms of what are we going to do to make our boards happy and make money 50 years from now, right? So I'll be, uh, yeah, there's certainly another thing that um, I've seen talked about in the yeah, but is this isn't controlling, let's say, runoff of fertilizers from agricultural systems, which has its own other problems, right, in our bodies of water. It would be nice if that, which I, perhaps some of that was in Build Back Better and is not in, now in this um, bill. But that's, you know, another problem to address in the future. And, and, you know, we'll have plenty of them. But I think when you are building wetlands, that also helps clean up you know, pollutants in the water. So if you're building the things that has all these side benefits that were are not even talked about in the bill. How big is this that the U.S. has taken this step and are making these changes 
as kind of a model for the rest of the world. Cause one of the things you would hear is, you know, other countries polluting, like, well, the U S talks a good game, but you know, when it comes down to it, are we really any worse, you know, with tangible laws like this, tangible incentives, tangible directions that they're going in, how much does this help the U S kind of push other countries in the same direction that maybe we're hesitant or, not interested or didn't know how to do it, you know, whatever you want. I mean, I think we have been behind the ball, right? We've signed on to Paris and then got out and are back in. And and we have, other countries have been doing a lot more. Our emissions have been going down, right, since around 2005 because of efficiency, because of other reasons. But other countries are doing way more than we have been. However, our economy being in the game on this cannot be discounted, right? India and China, who have already, you know, taken some big strides, will probably take bigger ones because they do not want to be outcompeted in this alternative energy markets, right? So we've sort of already lost some of our um, innovation power in solar and other things because we sort of backed off after Obama's you know, stimulus bill where we put a lot of money into that technology, the chips bill, this other bill sort of is reinvesting in research to sort of help us catch up again, right? And innovate in terms of clean energy. So I think the U.S. commits, you know, getting behind what it says, putting money behind it, which is pretty enormous. We have lots of power in terms of regulating trade and things like that. I think it'll, it'll have a huge impact. You and I are talking 10, 15 years down the road, and we're talking about this bill. What is the the best case scenario? Like, give me some things that we could see in a tangible way that would be able to point directly to this bill and, and the other ones you've kind of talked about working in concert, but to, to the momentum created by this legislation. Yeah, I mean, I see us transitioning. The biggest emitters in, our, in the U.S. is transportation. So we switch to electric cars. A lot of people get there in 10 to 20 years. And I think that will happen. So that's something you'll see pretty quickly. I mean, to me, and I think more about this just because of what I work on, is cities becoming greener and healthier and safer places to live because of the investments from this bill. People's livelihoods will be, there'll be a lot more jobs, right? And good jobs, high tech jobs. There's training that is going to happen to employ people to get into this green energy business, which is going to be huge now with these government investments, as well as just the market. Um, Yeah, I just see like biodiversity, which is something I worry a lot about, right? Like wildlife. And there's all kinds of other things happening on our planet beyond climate change that we need to get a handle on. And this has a lot of side benefits that will help animals and help birds and help pollinators and help our farms become better places because of the things that are going to happen with this bill. You talked about things that aren't in this. You talked about fertilizer runoff. And what are some things, not so much they're not in this bill, but with what this establishes, what would be the next step? I don't think we're going to see any big legislation you know, for a while, I think this this was kind of the the exclamation point. But the next climate, but where do we go to take the next step past this? What are some things people should be thinking of, or is it just really more money and growing what the seeds that are planted here? Yeah, I mean, what I 
worry about and it's kind of like I feel like it's my job to worry about the next problem for the earth, right? And so what I worry about is once we get the energy system fixed, the natural system's still pretty broken, right? And so I think we have to find ways. Sea level is going to keep happening, right? A lot of the warming that's already in the system is built into the oceans rising. So our coasts and Philadelphia included and here in the Northeast, we are set to have a certain amount of sea level. Hopefully with this bill and other things that are going on in states and around the world, we'll have less, but we have to figure out how to deal with these rising seas and what that's going to do to our coastlines and the third of the population of the world that lives along the coast, right? So I think that's something that there needs to probably be, there is some climate adaptation in this bill, but really figuring out how to, I mean, we're going to have, people are going to have to move, right? Some capitals in the world are moving in Asia because they know it's going to be underwater in a couple of years. So we have to figure out how to deal with that problem. And that's something that I'm always thinking about. Another thing is, you know, how do we reset some of these feedbacks in our earth system in terms of excess nutrients that we're putting out there that are polluting our seas and killing, you know, making less healthy drinking water, things like that. And we've, you know, there's been some great things that have happened since the seventies in terms of that. We have a lot cleaner water bodies than we did back then, but there's still a lot more work to do. That's it for this episode of KYW News Radio in depth. You can listen to the podcast free anytime on the Odyssey app, and you can find it wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Matt Leon, and we'll have another episode out soon.